what we say to often to people when we talk to them is you have to hold multiple truths during this time. You just have to. And we can. Our hearts are big enough to hold empathy for the Israelis and for the Palestinian innocent civilians because both sides deserve sovereignty, justice, security, and their needs are not being met. And we have to start there. And we can. We can. Our brains are big enough and our hearts are big enough. Hello, and welcome to the Art of Living Well podcast. I'm Stephanie May Potter, and I'm here with my co-host, Marnie Dachis-Marmet. We created the Art of Living Well podcast to empower you to live your happiest, healthiest, and most authentic life. Each week, we will bring you inspiring and motivating conversations covering health and wellness topics, including fitness, mindset, food, travel, product reviews, and strategies from a variety of experts, including our own bank of knowledge. We are excited to educate, motivate, and inspire you to change the way you perceive health and discover your art of living well. Get ready to feel inspired. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Art of Living Well podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. Today, we are having a very important conversation with Laura Zell, and we're going to let this conversation speak for itself, but just a little background on Laura. She is the Director of Holocaust Education at the Jewish Community Relations Council of Minnesota and the Dakotas, or the JCRC, where she has been on staff since 2005. Laura oversees the daily operations of the program, writing grants, delivering curriculum, educator workshops, speakers, and film showings. She has been responsible for the vision and creation of numerous educational resources. Laura's creativity and dedication to anti-bias education is apparent in her latest national project. She has created a separate nonprofit called the Tolerance in Motion, where she raised funds, recruited board members, and envisioned a path for a traveling exhibition that would eventually be accepted by the Smithsonian Institution Traveling Exhibition Service. Four years later, in 2016, Laura pitched the idea to the Smithsonian and soon became the project director of The Bias Inside Us. The four-year tour is a community engagement effort that raises awareness about the social science and psychology of implicit bias, the impact of the bias, and what people can do about it. This is so amazing, and I am sad to say that I have not seen this exhibit, but it's traveling all around the country. Laura said that it's going to be in Los Angeles in January, and we're going to link up in the show notes the dates of this exhibit. Laura's commitment to Holocaust education is evident in the work that she has done at the JCRC to ensure that Minnesota local Holocaust survivors' community stories and lessons are preserved. Starting with her own mother, Mary, she is the executive producer of the award-winning documentary about her family story of survival from Athens, Greece. This film and her second production, But Some Survive, both received Telly Awards. She produced a total of five documentaries, co-edited a book, and is published in an anthology called White Teachers, Diverse Classrooms. 
Laura has done so much over the years and she began her career as a St. Paul public school teacher where she taught for 15 years and has now been doing this work at the JCRC ever since. And we are so honored to have her on our show today. Let's face it, after a night with a couple of drinks, I don't bounce back the next day like I used to. And as a busy mom, I have to make a choice. I can either enjoy a couple of glasses of wine with dinner or a great next day. That is until I found Zbiotics. Zbiotics is a pre-alcohol probiotic and the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. It's designed to work like your liver, but in your gut where you need it most. The first time I tried Zbiotics was at a wine tasting event and I had scheduled this early morning yoga class the next day. So as instructed, I drank my bottle of Zbiotics before consuming any alcohol and was honestly amazed at how good I felt the next day. This class ended up being much more intense and longer than I thought, yet I somehow got through it feeling stronger and more energized than I typically would after drinking any alcohol. I now regularly take Zbiotics anytime that I'm planning to have a couple of drinks so that I can wake up the next day with a clear head and the energy I need to tackle my day. Of course, it's important to drink responsibly and get a good night's sleep to feel your best the next day. So head on over to zbiotics.com slash A-O-L-W to get 15% off your first order when you use the code A-O-L-W at checkout. You can also sign up for a subscription using our code so that you can stay prepared no matter the time or occasion. Think about your upcoming social calendar, including birthdays, holidays, and other celebrations when you may want to enjoy a couple of cocktails without having it ruin how you feel the next day. And Zbiotics is backed with a 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason at all, they will refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com slash A-O-L-W, that's Z-B-I-O-T-I-C-S, and use the code A-O-L-W at checkout for 15% off. Hi, Laura. Stephanie and I are so honored to have you on our show today during this difficult time in the world. And I know you are crazy busy working with schools and responding to anti-Semitic events that are happening on a daily basis in our community. And we just want to have you on the show so we can talk about all of the stuff that's going on in the world. And before we get started, one thing that we like to ask all of our guests that come on the show is, what is one of your non-negotiables to start your day? Um, well, first of all, thank you for having me, Marnie and Stephanie. And I just want to say that this is exactly what needs to happen in our community and in our world it are these conversations. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, one non-negotiable really for me um, in the morning is I have to take time for my own self-care. Like I have a yoga mat set up, I have weights set up, and no matter what kind of routine I do, like that has to happen. And I've realized in since really since October 7th and, and the JCRC where I work has has just, we do the intake for the casework that's happening around anti-Semitic incidences. I need that more than ever. So I just need that grounding every day. Absolutely. And like you said, especially right now, you have to fill up your own cup before you can help 
all the people that you're helping right now. So let's dive in, Laura. You know, everyone has a journey and we'd love for you to share with our audience the kind of work that you do and why this work is so important to you and a little bit about how you got here. Sure. Thank you. Um, I am Director of Holocaust Education at the Jewish Community Relations Council of Minnesota and the Dakotas. I've been there for 19 years. Before that, I was a public school teacher in St. Paul. Um, and the journey really, you know, it just went from sort of leaving the district for various reasons to becoming part of their speakers bureau. So my mom, personally, my mom was, um, a child in hiding during the Holocaust. My grandfather and extended families, um, members were taken from Athens, Greece to Auschwitz and gassed. And so that's part of my family DNA. That's just always been with me. And so, as I found out more about the JCRC, as I was making this transition, um, a friend of mine asked me to come on and do some work. And then it just evolved into um, projects, curriculum, resources, trainings. Um, and then it actually bounced up to a project with the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C., which I am a consultant for, and it's called The Bias Inside Us. And it's a traveling exhibition about implicit bias and how it plays out in all of us and how it affects how we form attitudes about each other. And so I I feel super fortunate, like one just sort of snowballed into the other. Um, but, you know, so my all my work, I feel, has been rooted in education. The work that you're doing is so amazing and so important. And I would love to see that Smithsonian exhibit at some point. Thank you. I know. Yeah. Where is it right now? It was here. It was here twice at the oh, Science really? Museum. Yeah, it was. It's oh. short. You know, it stays for like, you know, six weeks, eight weeks, four weeks. It It's moving. One of the goals of the Smithsonian, which is kind of a downfall in the schedule, was that they wanted it to move around the country a lot. And we raised the money to have it be also free wherever it goes. And the Smithsonian doesn't do that. Like their traveling exhibitions are tens of thousands of dollars, but this, we wanted to not be blocked behind museum walls. So it's in community centers, it's on campuses, it's at city halls. Right now it is in Greenville, South Carolina on its way to LA to the Japanese American Museum out in LA, California. And it'll go to two more sites in one in Santa Clara and one in, I believe the Oakland school district. Oh, wow. That's so That's cool. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so changing gears a little bit, I'm wondering if you can define anti-Semitism for us and just talk about Jewish identity as well and how that's all connected. Yeah. So anti-Semitism is really this form of hatred or mistrust, um, contempt for Jews, and it's based on myths. It's right. It's based on stereotypes. And anti-Semitism is, is a different kind of beast than, let's say, racism or sexism. It invokes this belief that Jews have extraordinary influence and that's meant to control or harm societies. So it's this conspiracy theory level, right? Yet it also has this other level at the same time, which is that Jews are not deserving. Like, you know, during the World War II, you know, Jews were a subhuman, right? They were blamed for society's ills. So you have to be able to understand these two sides of anti-Semitism. 
And we have this saying that, and Deborah Lipstadt, who's a scholar in anti-Semitism, coined, which was anti-Semitism involves people thinking they're punching up to this, this conspiracy network and punching down to these people they consider less than them. And that's different than racism. Racism, there is a clear power dynamic where people of a superior race feel superior to those less inferior. That's the theory behind it. Which is really helpful to understand that because I don't think, I mean, that distinction that you just made was really important for for everyone to understand and to hear. And it can become harder to detect, right? And so just the whole definition, you know, then things that are anti-Semitic sometimes go into this, like, really? Is it really like this denial thread, right? Is that really anti-Semitism? It's like, if you understand the theory and the definition of what is anti-Semitism, then you can define things that happen more clearly. So bringing that kind of full circle into context in the Middle East and the history of the Jewish people. I know there is not a brief history of the Jewish people, right? But can we try and do a very kind of quick summary of the history of the Jewish people and the current geopolitical lens today? So I can try. I'm not a, <laughs> I'm not a Jewish scholar by any means. Um, we, you know, we do presentations and we always start with, I'm glad Marnie, you, you asked that because we always start on understanding Judaism um, because people don't understand Judaism and Jews. Let's just start with the fact that Jews make up about 1% of the world population. Okay. Which is tiny when you think about tiny, that, right? Tiny, like, tiny, tiny, tiny. In fact, it, according to my latest statistic, we're like a quarter of the 1%. And so the fact that Christians are 33%, Muslims are about 25%, Hindus are about 15%. I mean, there's all these other religions, right, that are in our global landscape. And in the Middle East, you've got Israel and the Jews have had a presence in Israel back to biblical times for over 2000 years. Like we are indigenous to this land. Okay. So Therefore, if you understand that, there's no way the arguments like Israel's a colonizer can be true because colonizers go somewhere else, use the population often for bringing back riches, money, minerals to a motherland, right? There's no place else for the Jews to go. We have been often kicked out of places that we've been in the diaspora, right? So the second temple falls under the Romans, 70 AD, and the Jews that have been central in Jerusalem get dispersed throughout the world. We go to Iran, we go to Greece, we go to France, we go to Africa, we go to all other countries. And we're tolerated in those countries sometimes, sometimes persecuted, sometimes expelled, the Spanish Inquisition. Um, the Iranian regime. And, you know, we have to continue to wander until we have a Jewish homeland. Right. And in Israel, any Jew across the world can go there and make Aliyah, which means that you can go and become a citizen there. And that's today. Just That's to today in modern yeah. day. Right. And Israel is a democracy, right? It's a pivotal partner for the U.S. and for democracies around the world. 
And if you look at a map of all the other Arab countries around, you'll see Israel is a tiny, tiny, tiny portion of that area with this enormous responsibility. And now to bring in a little bit about the Palestinians is the Palestinians have also lived in other countries and also have a piece that they feel indigenous to that land. And that's where I believe in a two-state solution. I believe that the Palestinians need their own sovereignty from a government that will actually govern, not from a terrorist organization. So can we clarify the difference, you know, when we when we think about the Palestinian people, a lot of people, I feel like, think that, you know, Hamas are freedom fighters and they're fighting for the freedom of the Palestinian people. And I don't agree with that. I think Hamas is a terrorist organization and I don't know that they really care at all about the Palestinian people. Um, I think they have, you know, their objectives. Can you talk about that a little bit? I can. It's going to make me really um, upset. Yes, I can. I mean, I do all the time. Hamas is a terrorist organization. Hamas has stated very clearly their intention, right, which is to make sure that there is no Israel to annihilate the Jewish people. This is in their charter document. This is not in Israel's parliamentary documents. Israel is not out to destroy, annihilate a people. So let's just start there. Including Um, the Palestinians. Including the Palestinians, right. Hamas is also backed by Iran, okay? And so, and Hamas's top leaders don't live in Gaza. They live in other countries and they fund this terrorist organization not just this organization, but other terrorist organizations. And Hamas is a religious movement, okay? And so it is from Islamic fundamentalist regime that are not for women's rights. They're not for LGBTQ rights. And they get hundreds of millions of dollars. And for the last 15 years, 15 years, they've been building over 300 miles of tunnels, There's like, we say there's two Gazas. There's the Gaza up above the ground, and then there's a whole underground system. And if they were really freedom fighters for the Palestinian people, what do people need to be free in their land, right? What do they need? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? And if that was true, then wouldn't Hamas be investing in things that would bring that to the Palestinian people? And the Palestinian people would be flourishing, right? They'd mm-hmm. be building schools and it would just be so different. It would be so different. Um, and unfortunately, Hamas has also, I'll just end with this, you know, has expressed their theology over and over and said the attacks on October 7th, they're prepared to have that happen again and again. That they feel bringing freedom to Gazans is based in murder and rape and beheading and taking hostages. To me, that's not freedom fighters. So what would you say to, you know, the students in the U.S. who think that Israel is really behind all of this and, you know, the that um, Hamas didn't do any of this. They're just responding to Israel provoking this 
attack on October 7th. Yeah, I mean, I would actually ask them, which values are you supporting? What are you really supporting? And what are you putting your energy behind? Because what if, if you're supporting, you know, the chant from the river to the sea, Palestinian will be free, which is rooted in the PLO movement with Yasser Arafat. That's an origination statement from there. So if you're supporting that movement, what's going to happen if that movement wins? And can you explain what that means? Because I don't think a lot of people understand that chant. Yeah. So from the river to the sea means Palestine Palestine will be free. It means from the Jordan River to the um, Mediterranean Sea, all the land in there, they want it to be um, ruled by Hamas. They don't want, it doesn't make room for Israel or for Jews, right? And so it's actually a call for elimination of Israel and the Jewish people. It's not for a two-state solution. It's not for let Israel govern in a democracy. These are really two different things. And do you believe that all those college students or young adults that are protesting, you know, free Palestine, et cetera, do they actually understand what they're saying and the impact? I know you're doing a lot from an education standpoint, which is important and this conversation is important, but I have a hard time believing that all these young adults in America right now really if they fully, truly understood what they were saying, would be out there protesting in that I way. I mean, Stephanie, that's the magic question, right? <laughs> and that's why it just... it's really important to ask people the, that question. Do you really understand? Do you really believe that? Because well, not... that chant, I mean, we know that words, we have the history. We know that the words then are the first step, right, to escalating justification for policies, for laws, for discrimination, for genocide. We know in our bones as Jews where it can begin. You know, Hitler, I say Hitler didn't have a slogan that said, build Auschwitz and put all the Jews in the ovens. He started with words. And not to equate this, I don't want to equate it same, same, because that's that's that would be historically not what I wanted to do. But your question is really, really important because people do justify free Palestine now is different than from the river to the sea. Palestine will be free. We really also can make that distinction. And we understand, we hear, we hear a lot of young people, a lot of young Jewish people saying, I'm, I say free Palestine because I want the liberation of the Palestinian people. Okay, I hear you. And so do I but they're not going to be liberated as if Hamas remains in control. And then you can get into the history of who Hamas is. And you can also, I can hold what we say to often to people when we talk to them is you have to hold multiple truths during this time. You just have to, and we can. Our hearts are big enough to hold empathy for the Israelis and for the Palestinian innocent civilians because both sides deserve sovereignty, justice, security, and their needs are not being met. And we have to start there. And we can. We can. Our brains are big enough and our hearts are big enough. But yet we have to remove Hamas, right? Like that is a, that has to happen for for what you're talking about to happen, Uh right? It's almost like free Palestine from Hamas, right? Right, (laughs) right. And so that's where... You have to learn the history and people don't learn this history. It's been complicated. There's been peace talks started and stopped and you need to know why 
right? You need to know what was going on and it's just not taught. And so when we go in, we have a presentation that we've built. I mean, we've, you know, we do this many times a week with many different groups and, you know, we spend a chunk of the time talking about Israel history. Um, And people say, I never got this. And it's just, it's been complicated, you know? And so, and it's not mandatory to teach in schools. And kids are now getting, mm -hmm. I was just going to say beyond that, you know, Israel's not perfect, right? Israel's not perfect. And they have a lot of policies and issues and, you know, a government that a lot of people really dislike, but exactly that doesn't mean that they should be wiped out. Exactly. There's a difference. There crosses a line. I mean, Netanyahu was just, you know, there was, there were massive marches in Israel before October 7th led by Israelis because of, of a policy Netanyahu was trying to do with the judicial system. So Israelis and Jews themselves criticize the government of Israel, right? The housing policies have not been popular and they're not, in my opinion, right in the settler areas. And we have moved, Israel has moved Jews out of that to give, to make sure that, you know, the land can be for the Palestinians. That's not popular. Um, But Marnie, that distinction of what you just said is exactly it. There's a difference between criticizing a government. There's a difference between a government having to have occupational forces to protect their citizens, then calling for the annihilation and violence against a group of people. And P.S., we now, like the ripple effect is now happening locally and around the world. And that's what I think is scary for people. Um, And like you just said, this is not a political issue. This is humanitarian. This is just basic human rights we're talking about here. So like, you know, yes, there's a lot of complications with Israel and politics, like you mentioned, but like for the moment, let's, you know, maybe leave that out of this for right now. So you mentioned that there's a lot of rhetoric and a lot of like terms being thrown around, like you mentioned, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Are there any other big ones that you think would help to share with people today to get, so that they understand when they hear something on the news or in, in one of these, you know, protests? Just to like kind for of clarify. instance, yeah, yes. like I hear all the time, well, it's an apartheid state. You know, that one just is so frustrating to me. Mm-hmm. Or it's genocide. Or genocide, right? Right, right. right. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> so let's, yes, I can talk to both of those. So Israel's not, you know, committing a genocide. And if you understand the definition of what a genocide is, like we said, um, you have to take into account the intent of a government, right? And when a government is becomes a genocidal government, they have laws that call for the annihilation of an entire people, wherever they are. And so then they put measures in place to decrease that population. You know, Israel has not occupied Gaza since 2005. Um, There are Palestinians that work in Israel. There are Palestinians, I just heard there's about on the Supreme Court in Israel. I haven't had a chance to fact check that, Um, but I've asked other people and that came from a scholar in the field. And I didn't know that. Um, and the Palestinian population has increased. It's not decreasing, you know, so there are definitely facts that point to it's not a genocide. Um, 
And again, Marnie, what you said before is Israel's target is not the Palestinian people, right? Um, Israel's target is Hamas. And um, unfortunately, Hamas is using the Palestinian people to hide right behind right. them. So right. it looks like Israel is targeting the Palestinian people when in fact Hamas is using the Palestinian people as shields. And I just did see on the news last night because they're at the Al-Shifa hospital complex, the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, the army is there. Um, they made it, they got there and they actually found proof and had videos of weapons of um, other army supplies in the basement of this complex. And they think hostages are being held there in the tunnels. So, you know, after Israel saying this, this is this is actually a war crime of, committed by Hamas to put innocent civilians in this harm's way. And this is something that is really important proof of what Israel has been saying all along. And that's why they're not just bombing Gaza, right? They can't. They can't. They know they have. Israel knows it has to be incredibly incredibly specific, incredibly precise in their targeting because the world is watching and the world is blaming them, which is anti-Semitism alive and well. A lot of that comes from the news sources and the TV and the papers that we're reading. And there's so much misinformation. Can you like help our listeners understand just like as far as how they can get credible news sources and what to kind of watch out for? Because it's all over the place. Marnie and I are thrilled to share two new products that we've both been using daily for several months and are loving the results. Do you need better nutrition, improved energy or focus, but don't know how? Well, Energy Bits Spirulina Algae Tablets are your answer. They are effortless to take and organically grown. These bits of food are 100% spirulina, which is the most nutrient-dense, antioxidant-rich, high-protein food in the world. You just swallow or chew a few tablets each morning or whenever you are tired or hungry to improve your mitochondria, your energy, your gut health, focus, and reduce your hunger and cravings. They also replace the need for your caffeine. Energy bits are safe for the entire family and pets love them too. Maybe you wanna improve your gut health, support your detoxification, or add more green nutrition into your diet. Recovery Bits Chlorella tablets are the perfect solution. Recovery Bits USDA certified chlorella tablets are bits of food that strengthen your immune system, protect you from colds or viruses, remove toxins, speed recovery from a sports injury, and add vegetables and greens to your diet. This will help ensure that you're getting your greens on a daily basis. The Recovery Bits also help you enjoy better sleep when you take them before bed. I've noticed a big improvement in my sleep I'm sleeping much more soundly, not waking up at night. And when I do wake up in the morning, I have so much energy and just feel really well rested. So if you're ready to supercharge your energy, health, and longevity, head on over to energybits.com. That's E-N-E-R-G-Y-B-I-T-S.com. Use the discount code LIVINGWELL for 20% off your entire order. It is all over the place. You know, I subscribe to the free press. That's one of my sources. Um, I'm probably biased in this. Um, I have been watching CNN. I think the reporting has been 
fair. I do. I've I've seen them interview um, Palestinian professors, professors that work uh, on universities. So I can't really speak in depth to that. My colleagues, I'm sorry, at the JCRC actually have a whole session on that. Um, I can't. I actually learned from them the sources. Sorry. It's hard. You <laughs> no, have that's to, helpful. You, you have <laughs> to try. I mean, I've been reading the Times of Israel, which obviously is an Israeli news source. I love the free press as well. Um, I think you have to dabble and see what's being reported from different sides and how it feels, right? Right. Like and, may, and maybe not even assume that your typical news source that you either frequented or did not frequent, you know, be open-minded to all news sources, not what you previously associated with. Right. And right. double check with more than one source. Right. Right. Um, there's there's also, I mean, information is really key also at this time, because first of all, going back to the young people, where are they getting their news? Right. TikTok. So, TikTok and, and, and TikTok. I actually went on TikTok this morning before our conversation. I don't go on very often and I had to go off. I was so disturbed mm-hmm. by what. Well, I was and saying. who owns TikTok? China. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, here we're trying to educate our kids. And so, Stephanie, I'm super glad you you asked about sources. I wish I had just a deeper answer. But um, you mean to tell me you, you know, these educated kids that we're sending to universities and colleges around the country are really relying on TikTok, which is owned by China, for their information. We know what happened during the last election. It's proven that there are other countries that are infiltrating our social media to get us to be divided and to get us to buy into these extreme ideas. That is alive and well in America and on social media. And that's a really good reminder because I think we're sometimes we have short-term memory about what happened three years ago. Yeah. So. And so, you know, I join a lot of uh, webinars that are put on by these institutions around the world or, you know, the the institutions that are set up to study anti-Semitism. Um, I like to learn from the scholars and the thought leaders out there. Well, and I thought, you know, we're talking about the kids on college campuses and I listened to a podcast that you actually recommended to me, I think, Laura, um, by Sam Harris, um, Mm -hmm. the Making Sense podcast. And he talks about this extreme moral confusion. And I really like the way he said that because that's what it seems like it is. It's like all this moral confusion. And I think that he really clearly lays out, you know, how most people in the West still don't understand the problem of jihadism. I don't know if you can talk about that at all. No, it was an, yes, I can. It was an excellent podcast. And um, he talks about really understanding what we're fighting, right? And really understanding the power of religious thought in Islamic fundamentalist world. And that's why I was clear, like Hamas is a religious organization. And um, if you understand what Israel is, which is a democracy, which is, you know, one of the most liberal societies, Tel Aviv is a is one of the most liberal cities, right, with equal rights and rights for all kind of, you know, LGBTQ people and really a forefront <laughs> in that. Yeah, for everybody and, you know, tech and what they're building. 
Um, it's just not apples to apples, you know, and you need to understand, I think what he said is just, you need to understand the persistence of the ideology behind a jihad. And a jihad is called for against Jews and they're starting in Israel, but they won't stop in Israel. And how dangerous that thought is, because at the end of the day, they feel that if they can do this, that they'll go to heaven. Like they're not just here in the mindset. The mindset isn't just what can I do right here on earth? It's what will my payoff be in what they call paradise? And that is just really important to understand. Yeah. And I think that podcast was excellent. And we'll link that up in the show notes because I mean, he gave some great examples and I think it's very clear. And moral confusion was a great, a great term, especially talking about, you know, what the young people and what's happening on campuses. And I just want to say that we had a program where Governor Walls came to very, I think it was like the week after October 7th happened. And he used the words moral clarity. And I just want to say, like, as a Minnesotan, as a teacher, Governor Walls was a teacher. He was very clear that now is the time for everybody to have moral clarity. And I, the importance of leaders being able to articulate that um, is huge, you know, and that's what we call on when we go into schools for casework, we want to meet with the leaders because the students, the teachers, they need to have direction from the leaders about moral clarity. And can you set that? Can you live up to the values that you have designed for your school or for your district? And that's the question that we often ask. Are you finding that you're getting pushback from some of these school leaders when you want to come in and explain the perspective or the, I don't even know what to call it. (laughs) Um, So I don't know if I'd say pushback as much as I would say moral confusion. Okay. Um, I, we understand principals and teachers are the, their students are incredibly diverse and they come from all different kinds of backgrounds and they hold beliefs. Like we talked about earlier that the Palestinian people deserve freedom. So we want to say to them, we do too. We do too. And Who are the teachers that can go deeper into the history? Because we need, we also need these students to grow up and understand the complexity and the nuances that have happened in the Middle East, because we need you guys to be leaders for the next generation to God willing have bring peace to many areas, especially this area. So we actually say, you know, who are the teachers that can do this? Because it's not one program coming in and giving a lecture, right? It's really teachers designing units that can, in a in the most balanced way, present the history of both people here and take it out of this emotional war that's happening right now and understand it at, a, at just a deeper educational level. Well, and it makes me think about the program you talked about earlier, the bias within us. And a lot of people do have bias and, you know, there are everybody that mm-hmm. maybe haven't even met a Jewish person before and they just go by what they hear. And um, it's a, and they feel they have to take sides. 
Right. You know, one right. of the things we really want to get across again is that holding multiple truths and don't in your classroom make this a binary issue. Don't think it has to be pro-Israel or pro-Palestine because you've already defeated so much of the way we want people to hold multiple truths. Hmm. Right. And that's Marnie getting back to your question about apartheid. You know, the apartheid analogy to South Africa you know, is just inaccurate. There isn't a superior government in Gaza holding the what they consider an inferior group down. They're not outlawing language. They're not, you know, having, um, you know, they take the word occupation and they misuse it. Mm-hmm. Right. So, Israel hasn't have... occupied Gaza for years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hamas has been in control of Gaza and they removed their rivals, Fatah, um, in in an election. I mean, just getting back to the education piece and what you're doing, this is clearly what needs to happen. You know, starting at a young age and you're one organization, but what else can we be doing out there? You know, it's, I feel like it's going to take everyone or lots of people. Exactly. With, with, Stephanie. Going back to this moral clarity, which I really like that um, Tim said, I, I don't know, because it so, does... You know, t- kids are influenced by what they hear in the classroom and what they hear other people saying and their parents, right? Just think about children and teenagers. Right. And so what I say to my colleagues, my neighbors, we all say, it, my friends, please talk to your kids. Please talk to their friends. Please. These conversations can't just be, you know, the responsibility of the school. Um, seek out sources on the JCRC resource page. Which we'll link um, up in the show notes. Thank you. We have lots of resources. Um, we have voices from Gaza. I mean, we have talking points from the JCRC in San Francisco. Like we have, we have ADL resources for the classroom. Like, please, this is a war between a democracy and a jihadist group. And that's a really, really big statement. And what does that mean? Um, you know, we have kids that were born after 9-11, right? We have kids, you know, we just, we all need to be in this conversation. So educate yourself um, and then have the conversation and listen to where also the young people are. Like we say, like, you, you got to meet them where they are. You know, they often feel, I see they as a as a general, people that are young people that are identifying free Palestine, you know, they're identifying with the oppression of the Palestinian people and they're putting the sole responsibility on Israel. And if you can break down, you know, where's Hamas funded? Yes. Acknowledging that there is pain. There is a lot of pain and suffering and death. And the occupation is not, has not been good for the Palestinian people and has not been good for Israel. And Israel cannot rebuild occupying Gaza. And you'll hear that conversation on the news now. Israel cannot occupy Gaza. And I feel that it's not going to be the right solution. Um, And that's why we need people growing up, understanding how difficult diplomacy is and the nuances in the history. And one thing you said to me, Laura, when we were talking the other day is, you know, discuss supporting an ideology. And I really, really liked that. I That made a lot of sense to me. And like, ask yourself, what are you supporting? 
mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, like you said, you know, it's jihad or it's a democracy. <laughs> like what, what do you want? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're identifying as like free Palestine. Are you ready to go live in Gaza under Hamas? Like, is that the life that you want to live? Right. I think, Marnie, that's an excellent, excellent uh, conversation. What are you supporting? And understand the ideologies behind these movements. Yeah. So one question we didn't touch on yet, and I feel like we're going backwards a little bit in this conversation, but it's just one that you consistently hear and read about is ceasefire. And, you know, certain groups saying, you know, we need a ceasefire and other, you know, it's obviously... From Israeli standpoint, no. And so can you talk a little bit about that and why it's not a solution? Yeah, so um, ceasefire, as I interpret it to be, um, you know, people calling for a ceasefire, I think don't understand the the deep rooted, again, ideology. And I think that podcast did a good job of explaining this is, a you know, what Hamas believes. And they believe it so deeply in their religious beliefs, right? And, and you know, Christian fundamentalists, that's why you'll see that they understand, they understand this mindset. We're up against a group that is not going to give up that ideology. Um, so if there is a ceasefire, it doesn't root out the seed of the problem, which is anti-Semitism, which is annihilating the Jewish people. That doesn't go away with a book or a film or a peace talk. Um, that needs to be defunded, deactivated. And so, you know, I was in then on the flip side, I do I do like that I saw there was a pause for humanitarian aid to get through. Um, you know, I just saw on the news that Israel is sending incubators for the babies. Um, in the hospital that they that there are babies there that need the oxygen and they need the the service, the medical service. But that's and not being reported on mainstream news. You have to dig for that, which you have I to dig. find frustrating. But anyway, and they need a middle fine. person to get the supplies in. They need Egypt right. or they need Jordan or they need a middle per- a middle government to cooperate. And then they need Hamas to accept it. Right. And so, you know, we can go back to to other issues that have happened. Why did it take so long for Egypt to open up that border in the South for people to, why did it take so long for them to send buses? Like other countries need to come up and help. And why are they not helping? Why are they not helping? Um, So a ceasefire also, you know, people don't understand that Israelis and Jews at their deep level understand when they call for annihilation of a people, how far it can go. So that's why, in my opinion, a ceasefire does not work at this time, that the Israeli government, the IDF, know that they, again, have to go in. They can't flood these tunnels. They can't, you know, cut off oxygen in these tunnels, right? Um, They have to find the tunnels that are connected to residences so that less innocent civilians get hurt or get killed. Um, They have to be really precise. And it's not, there's not cell phone coverage. There's not GPS down there. You know, these are miles below the ground. Um, Not to mention there's a lot of hostages down there. Not to mention, right, they're trying to recover life. And they're really, they're very clear in that they want to get to the commanders of Hamas and the command centers. 
Well, thank you for that explanation. Um, is there anything else, Laura, that we haven't, I mean, I know there's so much, but anything else that you want to share with our audience that we haven't touched on that you feel is really important for people to know or think about? You know, I do. And because of the work that I'm doing and my colleagues are doing at the JCRC, um, I want teachers and other students and parents to understand that the, the impact that it's having locally on Jewish students, that we're seeing Jewish students being bullied in school, um, harassed, um, just bombarded with messages that are tr trying to pit, be divisive. Um, and that's super harmful. Jewish students, some Jewish students um, are, you know, scared to wear their Jewish star or scared to speak up that they're Jewish or questioning who their friends are. And that is an incredibly stressful atmosphere for those kids to be living in, for that to be the atmosphere in your school classrooms, in the hallways, in choir practice, at recess, on school, you know, at school team practices. And I just think, you know, our Jewish students, they don't need to feel more isolated or discriminated against by their peers that this is a time I want to call on the teachers and the administrators in schools to really pay attention. Don't be absent in this conversation because it's happening. It's happening. I can tell you there is not, I, I think we're talking to over 25 districts right now. Wow. And so, and this is, you know, we know anti-Semitism is up 400%. And I'm not calling everything that's happening in the schools anti-Semitic at all. What I'm saying is pay attention to your Jewish students. Don't call them out to be representatives of this incredibly complex history. Just know that this is happening and know that it's really complicated. But be there. Be there in this conversation. Yeah, so important. I think that's how we started this conversation was that we need to be having more conversations. Mm -hmm. And not to shy away from it, but to get facts and resources and educate yourself so that you can help others. And you and two hopefully... are perfect examples. <laughs> you two are perfect examples. Because I know this podcast, you know, doesn't deal often in uh, wars. Maybe you guys have before, but just a huge thank you. A huge thank you from me and from the staff at the JCRC. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, it's so important to both of us. And yeah. um, obviously I'm Jewish and I have felt nothing but pain and sadness since October 7th. And it's been weighing on me and I've shared so much with Stephanie and I think it's been weighing on her and it's like, we just want to do something. Right. Yeah. And I we mean, all how, how know can people someone. be living well. How can you live well when all this is going on? Exactly. And Stephanie so. to just bring it into human connectionness, right? Like we all know someone, if we don't know someone involved personally, we know someone who knows someone. And Absolutely. my son was a camp counselor locally, and one of his campers was killed in the first attack on October 7th. And the boy, Netta Epstein, was 20 years old. He was my son's good yeah. friend. They were in camp together for many years. And Netta, God rest his soul, threw himself on a grenade that was thrown into a safe house. Um, to save his girlfriend is a story I have heard. I'm sure there's more around it. But the pain and the enormity of this situation affects every Jew. And I think that's something that's been really eye-opening for me because I have a few close Jewish friends. And 
it's there's like one degree. It's not, it's, there's no six degrees of separation between a Jewish person here and in Israel. It, yeah. You're all very interconnected. And just and Marnie, I didn't, too. Um, Marnie, I didn't, I didn't realize that you're, you're also had the connection to Netta. Yeah. Um, and sorry, Stephanie, I interrupted you. No, no, that's okay. Um, I was just going to say, I remember, so Stephanie and I went to a conference in Florida for health and wellness right after October 7th. And I was kind of a mess the whole trip. And she kept saying, you know, what can we, like, what can somebody do? What, what, I have other Jewish friends, like, what should I do? And I was like, well, educate yourself and also just reach out to them. You don't have to do anything. Like you don't have to do anything. Just see if they're okay. And I think that for non-Jewish people out there, I think that's so important for your Jewish friends to just hear from you and know that you're thinking about them and hopefully asking questions and trying to understand what's going on. I completely agree. And for Stephanie to acknowledge that, you know, and to try and build a bridge right into this space, that's huge. And so it's just huge on an emotional level, on a historical level, you know, this is going to be a long fight. Yeah. So if you could ask people to do one thing that are listening to this episode, what would you ask them to do? I guess educate yourself, really take some time, go on, you know, read reputable sources, join a podcast, um, understand, ta- and, and like what we were just talking about, don't be afraid to ask a Jewish person, your Jewish friend, a professional, help me understand this better. Uh, here's my question. Because I think as, again, we have to also listen to where people are entering the conversation. And so that helps us, right? And seek out the resource page that we have. Educate yourself would be my number one request. Yeah, thank you. So Laura, as we wrap up this conversation, one final question that we love asking all of our guests is what does the art of living well mean to you? For me, living well means first and foremost, self-care for myself, my mind, my heart, my soul. These times are calling on really challenging work. Um, So I need the walks. I need the socializing with my friends. I need the physical workout. I need the time by myself. That is what living well right now in these times mean for me. And then I'm just stronger to absorb the news, to have the conversations that are hours long, to understand what is really happening, because it's really, really hard and it's really, really traumatic. And it's shocking, right? Like and it's, <laughs> you think never again, right? And then here we are. Right. And it is really going to take you know, our collective want to live well, right? Our collective desire to build a different society, whether it's in the Middle East or whether it's on campuses or whether it's within our family, you know, that is what is going to drive us, right? I mean, I have a, I'm sure like many other families, I have a family group chat on text with my kids and (laughs) my son's girlfriend And at first, when it first started, I was like, oh, they're going to just roll their eyes when I post this or send them this blog. And I was like, you know what? I need to lead as a mother and a professional Mm -hmm. in this time. 
and send them news sources that I'm listening to, that I'm getting my information from. And that to me is how I also teach them to live well, mm-hmm. right? Bring these conversations into your dinner club, dinner, Shabbat dinners, Christmas dinners. And yeah. while it may not be the most popular thing to talk about, you'll learn a lot if you can listen. Yes. Absolutely. And it's uncomfortable a little bit, but you have to get over that hesitation in order to ultimately, you know, I think we all want the same thing. Most of us want the same thing. We want the hostages to come home and be in peace. We want the Palestinians to be able to govern themselves by a government, not a terrorist organization. And we want Israel to be more fair-minded as a government, but to eradicate Hamas. 100%. Yeah. You said it all so well, and we so appreciate you coming on and talking about this with us. Well, thank you. I mean, again, this is exactly what needs to happen. I can't thank you enough. When when you guys reached out to me, I was like, oh my God, you two are just the best <laughs> to invite this conversation in. And so just with, I'm very grateful for it this morning. Well, thank you. Yes, We're grateful thank for you. you too. So. We are grateful for all the work you're doing and- please um, let us know where we can see your exhibit or how we can see the exhibit at some point. I can meet you in LA. I'll be going in <laughs> that could be, I January. Mean, <laughs> well, I might send my family because my husband's family's in LA. Okay. To the Japanese American Museum. I can send you guys a link to the where the tour is going to be yes. once they have it up on the website. That would be and amazing. Will it be coming back to Minnesota anytime soon? Not, probably? no. It goes oh. from... California to Colorado. I think Texas is in there. And then we go to the Northeast. Okay. Yeah. You can see a lot of it online. If you Google the bias inside us, there's actually an online um, interactive piece, a learning piece to it. Well, that'll be cool. We'll find it and link it up for everyone. Oh, great. Thank you. Well, Well, thank thank you, Laura. Laura. And um, we wish you a beautiful day. Thank you. Same to you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Art of Living Well podcast. We are so grateful that you joined us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or anyone else you think may benefit from this information. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and tag the Art of Living Well podcast on social media. If you want more inspiration in between episodes, you can find us on social media at the Art of Living underscore well on Instagram and Facebook where we will share snippets from our daily lives and our journey to living well.